Welcome to Off the Cuff, where Mish and Chris discuss the week's events informally and without a script. Welcome, Mish. Hey, it's good to be back. I know I had a little break last week because I was traveling, and uh, here we are back with another Off the Cuff. Now, a lot of things on the plate today. Um, I'm looking at some news here about Japan grappling with a fiscal cliff. I'm also noting that California's governor is saying that if extra taxes aren't temporarily approved on the rich, schools are going to have to close, and I'm looking at a at an interesting blog posting you have here from today that's about all of the mass firings that seem to be uh, on pace to exceed, well, since fastest since 2010, but it, it's pretty big and it's across the board. You've got uh, Ford and AMD and Dow Chemicals you've listed here, DuPont, uh, Cummins, uh, Kimberly Clark. So it's it's pretty broad based. What do you see in there? Uh, very, very broad based. And um, th- there's a lot of things here. And, uh, you know, this, this, you know, kind of contradicts uh, uh, what we've seen in the, the drop of the unemployment rate. But I did an analysis of that, and I can't remember if we talked about that last time or not, but uh, um, the Obamacare is now defining um, um, full-time employment as being 30 hours. It used to be, I'm not quite sure if it was 34 or 35, but uh, by the nature of them dropping it back down to 30, at least for Obamacare, not necessarily in how the BLS uh, 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 accumulates um, uh, underemployment here, let's call it. But for Obamacare, it's 30 hours. So you've got a lot of businesses now, a lot of restaurants, where people were working 34 hours are now, you'll need that average to come down to under 30. So uh, they're slashing these workers down to, say, 25 hours from maybe 33 or 34. Okay, you do that across the board, all of a sudden you need to, to, to work the same number of hours, you need to hire a lot of people. So that's what I think happens. So you've got these two two uh, forces at play. Actually, I, I listed seven forces um, in, in my blog post, and uh, you've got the fiscal cliff. Companies are, uh, are worried uh, about that. You have, I think we had... Uh, because of Obamacare, I think we had a rush to hire uh, seasonal Christmas workers a little bit early, so I think that'll be revised away. And uh, so, some, you know, so it all makes it very hard, Chris, to figure out exactly where unemployment's going. You have uh, another big one is people have been unemployed so long, that, but they're retirement age, they really want a job, you know, they want to work, but they have had no income coming in for so long that they're, they're opting to retire and collect Social Security. You know, they don't really want to do that. They would rather have a job than have any money coming in at all. So it used to be pretty simple, Chris. If the economy was good, it was adding a lot of workers. If it wasn't, unemployment rose. Now you've got all of these forces here at play that are that are artificially um, lowering the unemployment rate, and actually Obamacare is one of those things. Yeah. So just to make sure I've got the story clear and clean, it's it's if is if we had uh, ten part-time workers and we've got them at thirty-four hours, just nosing in under that thirty-five-hour definition of full-time mm-hmm. employment, and all of a sudden they can't, on average, crack the thirty-hour mark. I now have to dial that back. So. Let's say I'm cutting 15% off 
of their time, uh, that means that I need 15% more workers. So I need 11 and a half part-time workers to do the what used to be the work of 10, simply because what I'm trying to do here is dodge a regulatory uh, trigger point above yeah. which I have to do some really expensive draconian things. And so obviously I can't do that. So really this is a, we, we would say, yes, uh, it looks like a statistical increase in hiring, but let's be completely honest. There's no additional work being performed here. That is exactly correct. You've got it. We had a ping actually today from uh, Financial Sense, uh, Crystal Plava, uh, uh, thanking me for that story. He says, Mish, he says, no one else has talked about this. And, and uh, uh, you know, I mentioned this as a possibility. I, mean, I didn't know heading in, but it, it, it was only when I actually dove into the law itself that defined you know what you know what these rules were and the IRS put out regulations on this and there's a three month look back period Chris so or actually it's, it's either three or twelve companies can choose well guess which one they're going to choose they're going to choose three months they're going to look back three months they're going to look back when to right to that last jobs report and uh, that's that's when they uh, reduce these hours across the board on on uh, but instead made up for it by hiring a lot of new workers and it's 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 funny because I was at Olive Garden just yesterday and uh, it was a it was uh, it was a new worker in there he was I thought this person was was really bad and I'm sitting there thinking hmm okay well it, you know so you know perhaps the quality of, of, of work goes down you know, as, as, as well, which is, you know, it's something I'm just hypothecating on right now. Well, let's take a look then to it. Uh, you know, the stock market's been up. It's been elevated. It was within a few percent of its all-time highs uh, just a few months ago. And uh, a lot of that was on this hope, this hope that all of this QE stimulus would, A, be permanent. And so the market's got that wish. But it's supposed to do more than that. You can't just live, a market can't live on QE alone. Eventually, all that funny free money is supposed to bleed out into real operating earnings and revenue growth and things like that. And so let's talk about, you know, eventually fundamentals do come into play, right? You, you can't have a market that's perpetually elevated on hope alone. And the fundamentals looking a little dodgy out there. So, so far we've had 204 S&P 500 companies that have released third quarter earnings and 120 of those, more than half reported sales that trailed analyst estimates. Uh, we're getting all sorts of warnings coming in along the way, and then you noted all these firing details. So corporations are already responding. And uh, we have uh, what appears to be something that's running afoul of the story of uh, resilient growth that's being uh, trying to be trumpeted everywhere. Well, that's the resilient growth in the U.S. Everywhere else is not resilient growth, especially when you have, um, I think it was the ECB, uh, uh, you know, saying, hmm, yeah, oh, excuse me, it was the Bundesbank uh, uh, or uh, German officials, one of the two, you know, saying it looks like Germany's heading for a recession. Of course, that's something that, that we've discussed for the last four or five months here on our show. And I was very, very adamant that that uh, the problems in Europe, uh, that Germany would not escape all of these problems in Europe. Meanwhile, in Japan, we have, uh, I think it was the economy minister, or perhaps it was the finance minister, come out two days ago and, and <laughs> claim saying, we are running behind, we are falling behind in monetary stimulus. And I'm sitting there thinking, good grief, because in the same sentence, this is the irony of it, he was, he was complaining that the rating agencies might lower Japanese 
<laughs> well, duh. And, you know, guess what? If they this want more monetary stimulus, don't you think that's going to cause the rating agencies to, to lower Japanese debt? It means like this guy couldn't even put two and two together. So uh, uh, we're seeing it in Europe with um, ECB President Mario Draghi yesterday using the excuse of deflation. Of course, they're looking at prices here now, saying that there, that there was a huge risk of deflation in Europe. So that's why they needed to do this OMT. Now, uh, uh, and he said that made it the OMT within mandate. Well, excuse me, the OMT... Uh, even from analysis of some people who are, uh, you know, pro-Euro and want this thing to get done, have, 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 have looked at this and concluded, you know what, this is really very, very shaky, if not illegal. I think it is illegal. I think it is against the treaty. And so, so here we're saying, oh, to, uh, uh, because of the mandate of currency stability, it's okay if we break the treaty. That, you know, today, I had to laugh about all of that when I see the HPI, that's their equivalent of the CPI over there, comes out at, at 2.7, food and, and gasoline unexpectedly rose in price, and when they were uh, uh, anticipating this drop, so, uh, you know, I, I view inflation and deflation in terms of credit. But here they are, they're talking about this in terms of, of prices, and they're saying, well, we need to do this because of fear of deflation. Well, you know, guess what? The two things that people most need are going up in price, food and energy. Gee, I don't know why, just because we've had LTRO1, LTRO2, QE1, QE2, QE3, and then the stuff we're talking about in Japan. And just to round that story out, that was the Japanese finance minister talking about that. They're worried about having their own fiscal cliff over there, which really just means that Japanese politicians right now, they're, they're stuck wrestling over a bill. Both sides are, are wrestling over a bill that would allow the government to borrow another 38 trillion yen, that's about $480 billion, needed to finance the budget deficit just for this year. And, and the problem is, is that it turns out the, the people they want to sell all of those bonds to, some of the biggest ones, like the Japanese pension fund, is actually already in the business of dishoarding some of their existing trove. Yeah. So who has to buy them? Well, it's going to be Japanese banks. They already have 25% of all Japanese bank assets are uh, government bonds. So if at any point in time interest rates get away from the Japanese and they, the uh, Japanese bond prices start to rise... You're sorry, bond yields start to rise. You're going to see ju the banks just get wiped out instantly. It's just an Absolutely. extraordinary yeah, capital one, event. One thing that, that uh, I've not seen anyone talk about yet, I, I just uh, read it the other day and not even commented on it in my blog yet, but um, the uh, president of the, of the Bank of Japan, his, his term is up, and uh, politicians are already talking about um, you know, putting in, you know, someone in there who the next guy that's going to be nominated is going to be a lot looser in terms of monetary policy than this guy's been. You know, for all the bluster coming out of Japan, the, uh, uh, it's mainly been from government officials wanting this looser policy. The Bank of Japan itself has kind of resisted at least as good as it could, certainly more than Branke, certainly more than Mario Draghi. But, we're going to get a, a new governor of the Bank of Japan in there, and um, if, if the politicians put him in and he does what the politicians want, 
we're going to see a lot of printing in Japan. Well, you know, it's really rocking a hard place for Japan. If a recession comes along, they're going to find uh, their fiscal gap just getting worse and worse because tax revenues are going to fall. They're already in sort of an export difficulty because the, the, the kerfuffle with China is not over. The impact of that is still sort of rippling through. We do have a global slowdown going on anyway. So if you have that recession side, that really uh, you know hastens them towards uh, another type of a fiscal cliff. So, so they have serious problems on the slowdown side of the story. But if they get their wish and they get this acceleration in, in things because they've achieved uh, a, a fall in the value of the yen, well, now they have a different sort of a predicament on their hands because there's only so far that can happen before uh, interest rates naturally are going to start to rise. Because nobody, it's, it's, it's just a, one of these knife edges they're going to have to walk where on one side they've got this sort of deflationary chasm they could fall into. On the other side, they have a place where their currency could get burned in a, in a skinny minute. And, and that's what they're trying to thread. I think the Bank of Japan, I have to give them some props because they've managed to walk on that, that knife edge for a very long time. It looks to me like they're running out of, out of road on this one. They're running out of road and running out of time. Uh, we'll see. There's a lot of political forces at play in Japan, too. Um, uh, they're trying to raise taxes. The people are against it. So uh, there's there's politics. There's the Bank of Japan. You know, m- you know. Meanwhile, you know, back here, did you see this? This kind of irritated me. They wrote this up, you know, as if 80 corporations in the United States, you know, want uh, Congress to do something about the fiscal cliff and the deficit. Actually, they wrote it up. They wanted. Yeah, to, I saw that. To, they, uh, you start looking into the details, and you really don't have to get very far. It's it's the same old story, Chris. They don't want anything to, to happen now. In other words, you know, they uh, want to roll back all these tax hikes, and, you know, prevent the fiscal cliff, and then they'll make up for it by allegedly reducing the deficit more down the road than they're going to put in now, and supposedly this is going to make everything palatable. You know what? I don't, I don't even know if President Obama will go along with that. I'm assuming he's going to be elected here, but it's not all that uh, uh, clear anymore. He blew that first debate so badly. But uh, um, the I don't think that Obama really wants to uh, uh, roll back some of these uh, taxes um on the, you know, higher income. So we'll see. I, I think more than likely they're going to roll back some of this fiscal cliff, but not all of it. Personally, I don't think they should roll back any of it. The uh, um, Now, my preferred way would be to, you know, cut more out of the budget. But you know what? It's, it's, it's time to get the deficit down. And if they don't, if they don't have the guts to, to uh, cut what needs to be cut, then you know what? They probably ought to raise taxes. Um, you know, again, I'm not in favor of tax rates, tax hikes. I'm in favor of budget cuts, but I'm in favor of them doing something rather than nothing. Well, I would just, I would just love to have a a, a good discussion about actual priorities, which begins with the proposition that we can't afford everything anymore. And so what's it going to be? And let's at least have the conversation. So we should say, listen, would would we rather have all of these things that would involve domestic expenditures, national parks, um, I don't know, maybe uh, uh, a little investment in alternative liquid fuels or things that people might care about? I don't know, something like that. Or we want to spend 
you know, that same hundred billion over here on the military doing who knows what. And uh, we, should, exactly. we should have that discussion because we can't, there's only two ways this gets solved, either on your own terms with, with your own force of will and willpower and political will, or on some other terms. And those other terms are called the bond market. And it has a, a nasty forcing function uh, when it gets a hold of you. And just ask Greece, you know, would they rather have dealt with this gently starting 10 years ago, or would they rather be in their current situation? And that's just how it's just math. You 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 know, we're United States is spending forty cents more than it's taking in for every dollar of expenditure. It's just extraordinary, mm. and that's just a recipe for trouble. And you know, it was supposed to be temporary, but guess what? Temporary things end up being permanent. And uh, speaking of temporary, I see that uh, we have here um, Jerry Brown, governor of California, is, is asking for a temporary increase in taxes <laughs> on the rich. And he's saying, if we don't do this, we'll have to close schools. So he's, he's linked it nice and tight to a, a thing most people care about. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, rather than saying, here are the 30 other ways we might be able to save money out of our bloated state budget. We're just going to tell you flat out, if we don't allow us to raise taxes on these people over here, what we're going to do is uh, close schools. That's a, that's a common sort of a tactic. And what's interesting here is they say um, the temporary tax rise, if approved, will last seven years with staggered increases affecting those earning more than two hundred and fifty thousand, five hundred thousand, and one million. So let me talk okay. about that two fifty. My sister just moved out to California. She's in the Bay Area. She took a job. That's where she got a nice job. And starter homes are a million bucks out there, right? You need, which implies that you need at least a two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollars salary just to afford a home. I'm, what I'm suggesting is that in parts of California, two fifty isn't rich. It's actually middle class just to be able to afford to live there with the nearly 10% income tax rate, nearly 10% sales tax rate, the very high uh, property tax rates because the houses are so expensive when you buy a house because they had that prop uh, 13 thing going on there, right? Or was it two and a half? No, 13 for you that. you got to laugh at the, at the very definition of temporary extending of out course. for a full seven years. <laughs> <laughs> this is a temporary seven-year thing. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, rest assured if they do that, two years from now they'll need another temporary tax hike and another one after that. All of them, of course, will be temporary. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, one more point on, on just the hypocrisy. Well, you know what I think of both of these guys. is They're both hypocrites. And I'm talking about Obama and uh, uh, Mitt Romney. I, they, they both are. But, you know, Mitt Romney, you know, has, has repeated his claim, which is an accurate one, by the way, uh, that government doesn't create jobs. But then he goes and says, oh, my God, if, if, if we cut military spending, it's going to cost 800,000 jobs. So, you know, what is it? Apparently, apparently, Chris, what I've, what I've determined, or, or what he's implying, is that uh, um, uh, governments don't create jobs except when it comes to the military. <laughs> well, you say whatever needs to be said at the time, I guess, and that's that's just the nature of the beast. But if it, to, to consider military jobs to be permanent jobs is mm -hmm. uh, there's just you can don't have to scratch very far back in in your historical uh, figures of of importance to find that that uh, almost every generation is warned about what standing armies will do for you, they, they cost you a lot of money, and eventually they will cost you your economic freedom, and that's just uh, an old story. All right, Chris, that, that kind of wraps it up. Uh, um, interesting session with you here. I'm in the middle of a golf course, by the way. Uh, 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 we conducted this this interview here, the full thing on hole number two. The This is probably the last 
day of the year here for for golf. The weather's supposed to in central Illinois is uh, uh, supposed to start plunging, so this might be the last time I get out golfing for the year. And uh, it's a nice day out here, and Chris caught me on the course. We heard a little wind in the background. I assume that was you taking warm up swings. So uh, <laughs> enjoyed it, and glad we could catch you on the course and have a great game. Signing off here from uh, hole number two, and we'll we'll catch you next week. Fantastic. See you then.